This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. All of them were, well, you guys aren't racing anymore. They all said that. Oh, yeah. It made me think, you know, is better racing really the cure here or is it? Right. An attraction to the past in some form or fashion. Well, it's got to make you feel loved. But <laughs> <laughs> right? A bunch of people kind my of. age knew me. <laughs> Welcome to NASCAR America Debrief. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today, joined by Jeff Burton, who just did NASCAR America with Carolyn Mano and Dale Jarrett. Thanks for being here, Jeff. That's yeah, fun to be here. Yeah. I like doing these things. You, you're always well-received when you're on the NASCAR and NBC podcast, so good to have you on the debrief. Going to start with the topic du jour, <laughs> and <laughs> I think we all know what that is. That is the debate over the All-Star Race Aero Package. Should it be used again? Should drivers flee the series in droves? Just kidding. Let's break this down at the end of the mayor's office discussion tonight on NASCAR America. You said something very interesting. You're old school, and there's an art to driving the car, and... You can relate to it. Dale Jarrett can relate to it. But Carolyn Mano has never driven a race car. I've never driven a race car. 95% of the people watching haven't driven race cars. There has to be a way to relate to the fans without messing with the integrity of NASCAR. And I was talking, this struck a nerve with me because I was talking to a team president after the All-Star race who said, it bothers me that they're worrying so much about fixing the racing when I think we need to fix the messaging or the marketing or Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Is there something to that? Is there something to maybe we need to do a better job of explaining the difficulty of driving race cars, and that might be the solution. Well, I've been doing this now for three years, uh, broadcasting races and trying to explain to the fans how hard it is to drive a race car and trying to explain to the fans that, you know, when you want to go faster, it's not just about driving harder. In many cases, it's about being more precise. But when Peyton Manning tries to explain to me how to throw a football, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. (laughs) Right. And because I cannot relate to that level. And so it's so difficult to explain how difficult it is to drive a race car and how Kyle Busch and and Matt Kenseth and and who, you know Kevin Harvick whoever you want to say are great at it and the other you know some others are really really good at it it's hard to show and explain that difference and so you know I've said for years that I don't think you know I've I've told NASCAR this as a father of a aspiring up-and-coming race car driver, I don't think he should be able to run wide open anywhere. And I think after 10 or 15 laps at Daytona and Talladega, the car should handle bad, bad enough where you don't run wide open. However, <laughs> you know, some of these races at some of the tracks we go to are not as good as they could be. So there's this balancing act. Like, what what changes do the fans really want to see and that are going to is going to bring more fans to the sport and versus... Uh, you know, what do we keep doing that's the same? And, I, you know, it's a constant struggle in the sport uh, about when, you know, the hardest thing in anything that you do, when you're winning at what you're doing or when you're losing at what you're doing, when, when do you change what you're doing? That's so difficult. Right. When you're losing, it's easy to change, right? Nobody pulls the goalie out with two minutes to go unless they're losing, right? 
then it's an obvious decision. So when things aren't going well, it's easy to make changes. And then how do you decide if the changes were good enough? And I think that's where we've got this major problem in determining what's best for the future of NASCAR because it's e- it would be easy to say, well, at the height of the sport, the rules were this, so it uh, should all go back to, to what that was. If you took away stage racing, if you took away the playoffs, do you think all those people that were watching 15 years ago are going to come back? I say no. I I say that they'd come back and they'd say, hey, you know what? It's kind of cool the way it was, you know. Because, right, right. So, so that's what's difficult in, in trying to determine what's best for the sport. Because as Carolyn expressed on yesterday's NASCAR America, she feels as if she's one of these new fans. As she explained yesterday, she takes umbrage when she hears Mark Martin say, well, we can't appeal to the Johnny-come-lately fans. Right. And she, I think it's fair to say, somewhat took that personally. She likes Mark a lot, but sure. she heard that and thought, well, you know, I'm here to try to like this stuff, and there's things about it which maybe I don't understand, or I wonder, like, why don't they do this or try yeah. this? And I'd like to hear your perspective. I mean, my, my point on that to her was, I feel like Mark's point is don't appeal to people who are never going to love NASCAR. Like, don't don't try to appeal to an NBA fan who's always going to love basketball and is never going to love racing. Don't try to be what they want it to be because you'll yep. n- you'll never hit it. But yep. if you've got somebody like a Carolyn or somebody of her ilk who is somewhat new to NASCAR, somewhat younger, y- you have to thread the needle of making it entertaining but making it the old school way, right? Yes, and how do you do that? There's been a push to get children more involved, right? We right. need younger people in racing. But to get the younger person to come to the races and watch the races, we need that guy's father or grandfather or mother or grandmother excited about it as well. Right. So kids grow up fishing because their granddad or their or their mom or they, they take them fishing or their friend takes them fishing. Right. People play golf because they see other people doing it. It's no different. So to get the young fan, don't we need the guy's mom and dad? Right. You know, like so. How do you appeal to the right group of people? And and I, listen, it's you know it's crazy. I, there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. I can't believe that making the race an attempt to make the racing better is ill-guided is is wrong. I think that more competitive racing and and exciting racing surely that can't hurt. But you know some people believe that it's not about that. Some people right. believe that the reason we have less people watching is because so much has changed, and and we alienated, and we did. We found a way to alienate some our hardcore fans, some of our hardcore fans, certainly not all of them. We still have millions and millions of people right. that watch. Millions this. of people watching every Sunday. Yes, yes. and and <laughs> so we have the sport has in some way found a way to alienate some people. But if somebody's mad because they're not going to watch anymore because I don't know. I mean, we heard I've heard people say, well. You know, a foreign manufacturer being involved in a sport, that's not my NASCAR. Well, you know what? It's 2018. I mean, we live (laughs) in a global economy, right? Right. Right. I mean, you know, some things like that. I mean, I'm sorry. You, you Having Toyota involved in a sport, if somebody thinks that's bad, I'm sorry. They're wrong. Well, and, when and you look at those kind of the Camry being the number one sold car in America yes. and, like, the amount of money yes. Toyota is spending on television advertising about NASCAR, I think it's worth the trade-off if somebody yeah. doesn't like Toyota. So things like that, you can't appease to everyone. You right. can't make everyone happy. You have to be who you are. You have to have the integrity to be who you are. And that's where this conversation about – the all-star package comes in. 
this would be to run this package at a lot of racetracks or any racetrack would be a de major departure from what the sport's been. Right. And so you have people like Mark Martin and Keselowski saying, wait a minute, is this really in the sport's best interest? And it's a debate worth having. Like, is it is it worth messing with the integrity and the core of what NASCAR has always been about in an effort to create a, create a more exciting race? Is it worth it? And what is the positive and what's the negative? And I, it's a debate worth having. Well, instead of focusing too much on the negatives and too much on the divides, which you know, is emblematic of the, our entire society, not, not just yeah. NASCAR, there's, been, yeah. there's too much focus on division. Yeah. I think if, if there's one area of consensus here, and you touched on it during NASCAR America, Jeff, one area of consensus where we can all agree on is Indianapolis is a track where this package absolutely 100% needs to be tried. And yeah. I, I think everybody would agree that, hey, maybe this isn't going to work everywhere, but based on the crowds at Indy, based on the urgency around that situation of improving the quality of racing, based on, as you said, the Xfinity race last year, I mean, maybe that would be the place to start. Is like, can we all agree that we should try this package in the regular season finale at Indianapolis? Well, Nate, let's, let's be blunt about it. And the fact of the matter is, we can't have an Indianapolis 500 that is far, far better than the Brickyard 400. The optics are terrible there. Yeah. We, well, and just as you're a fan, you know, and, and you, 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 know, you can't afford to go to all the races. You, you know, you've you got to have a Brickyard 400 that's fun to go watch. I mean, you have to. And the Indy 500 and the package that they've created for Indy, not so much this year compared to the years before, but they're fun to watch. And they're more fun to watch than the NASCAR race. I'm sorry. They are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people say, well, Indy was built for Indy cars. No, it wasn't. Indy was built for, you know, you know, when Indy was built, they didn't have Indy cars then with wings and everything else. That's <laughs> right. when Indy was built. They've adjusted the car right. to match the racetrack. They're not racing roadsters like no. they were in the early so, 20th century. So, you know, that argument that, well, Indy was built for road, <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yeah. uh, 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 an open cockpit, no wing, you know, what? How many horsepower do they make? You know, I mean, come on. With a right. second, with a guy riding with you as a mechanic, <laughs> right. that's how the racetrack was built. Sure, they've adapted the car to race on that track and to make the race fun to watch and difficult to win. They found a way to do that. Well, so can we. And if we're not going to work to find a way to make that happen, then we shouldn't go back there because it potentially does more harm for our series then it does good. And I think IndyCar can say the same thing. They go to some racetracks that actually they shouldn't be at those tracks because the NASCAR races are so much, you know, right? So you have to understand, you know, what you're doing, when you're doing it. Indy's awesome. Like, we need to be at Indy. Like, when you go to Indy, man, you're you at feel Indy. It. Like, yeah, you feel it. There's a truly hell mystique. Of a honor yeah. to be there. But we need to put a package that matches the racetrack. It's blatantly obvious. So that's an obvious one. I think Michigan is on a so lot of I'm, list. So I'm on the other side of that. Oh, really? Okay. And here's why. Because the Xfinity cars are already doing it at Michigan. So do we need to have three races at Michigan with this type of package? Or shouldn't we, should we take it somewhere else to be able to learn? I was going to follow This is what you right? said on the show. I was so, going to follow so up on this. Where can we learn the most? So there's a, there's a track that you have in mind you think well, so, they, they could go? So, so I think the trap that Brad Keselowski's fallen into, and I think a little bit of the trap that Mark Martin fell into, is the assumption that the package that you see out there today is the end-all be-all. Like, this is what it's always going to be. NASCAR has said that they have no interest in pack racing. That's not what they're not trying to, pr pr to create another Daytona and Talladega. They are trying to 
They do not want to take it a difficultiness away. They want it to be difficult. They want the best driver to have the best chance, right? They they've set all those things. Those are their stated goals. So if NASCAR stays to their stated goals, the package that you saw the Xfinity cars run at Michigan may not be the package that the Cup cars would run at Michigan. So if you're going to go to Michigan, you don't go with the same package that the Xfinity cars have. You go with something different. That's my opinion because now you have an opportunity to learn. Pocono did not create a better race uh, for the Xfinity cars. It did not. So a lot of people say, well, there you go. The package doesn't work. Well, no, no. There was a tremendous amount of information gathered. There was this is the, this was an opportunity to learn, and now all the key players will take that information and apply it in a way that is better the next time. Or maybe they say, well, you know what? We don't need to do this at Pocono. You know, NASCAR is not, in my understanding, is and publicly what they've said is there's no intention of saying every NASCAR race is going to be like this. There's no intention of that. Mm-hmm. The other thing about this package, and a lot, a lot of attention is paid to the restrictor plate. Everybody understands, and maybe everybody doesn't understand this, but you understand that trucks and Xfinity cars run tapered spacers. Right. Call them whatever the hell you want to call them. It's a reduction of horsepower. It's like almost a de facto plate in some ways, right? I yeah. Mean, so so when a guy concept. wins a truck race or a guy wins an Xfinity race, does anyone get believe, well, that guy isn't good? I've never heard that. So you can't tell me that taking power away immediately says that you don't have to have talent to do it. If you take power, enough power away, and you add enough downforce, then you can make that argument. If you can easily run wide open and race trail around Charlotte, then yes, it's easier to do than it was if you didn't have those things. But the, is there a way to go a certain speed, to make the cars drive a certain way, to keep it difficult to do, but also make it a closer field? I think there is. And Nate, do you think Brad Keselowski is a good plate racer. Uh, he's the best. I, I think. think he's yeah. really good. He's in the top two. I'd say him or Hamlin probably right now are really the two good. best. Yeah. So you understand they easily run around Daytona and Talladega. Easily. Right. Well, it's gotten a little bit harder. <laughs> but yeah. it's easier to run around Daytona and Talladega wide open than it was at Charlotte for the Xfinity cars or, 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 or Pocono for the Xfinity cars. So when Daytona is over, I don't think whoever won the Daytona 500 just happened to win and had no talent. No, not at I all. think it's different. Right. I do think it's a different skill set. You know, I just think we have to be careful not to in, in attempt to make an argument for something or against something. What people tend to do is they exaggerate to make a point. And the danger in that is when you exaggerate to make a point, well, now you're not necessarily dealing with all the facts. And our fans deserve to hear what's really happening. They deserve to hear both sides of the story. Like, I think it's cool in a topic like this that Brad's willing to, to speak publicly. I, Brad wants to make this sport the best it can possibly be. Brad puts effort into it. He cares about it. I respect Brad a tremendous amount for his driving ability and also his willingness to be involved in the sport. At the same token, I think it's also important for Brad to remember that no one's ever said that this kind of package will be run everywhere, right. and that it is an evolution of an idea. The idea of this is evolving into what ultimately will be the end product, and we're not at the end product yet. I think Brad is just preemptively planting a stake in the ground and saying, yeah. hey, 
I, I don't want, as good as I am as a plate racer, yeah. and I think you're right, like that takes some skill. For a cerebral driver like Brad, that takes some ability and a way of, you know, plotting out the chess match and knowing how to race on a plate race is, it's not easy. And he's really good at it. Hamlin's really good at it. Lagana's really good at it. They're all really good at it for re- a reason. But I think he and Mark Martin, probably to some extent as well, are just saying we don't want every week to be a plate race. Or, you know, I heard some people say that, the Michigan Xfinity race was, it reminded them of like a go-kart race. I think people hear that, and I would think if you're a superstar driver, you you shudder, because you did go-kart racing, <laughs> like when you were a kid, and that's not what you're well, here to do. Kyle said it. He said he didn't sign up for that. Yeah, right. And 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 he's right. When he came into sport, that's not what it was. You know, it's not. Well, you know what? Before Bobby Allison got in the fence at Talladega, there were no replate races. And now there's been, you know, almost 30 years of them. Jeez. You know, things do evolve. And and I I understand what they're all saying, and I agree with them to a point, is that the integrity of motorsports, when the, the attempt to make a show outweighs the sport of motorsports, you start to get into fuzzy areas. Now, the reduction of horsepower to me, doesn't get into that category. Mm-hmm. Because if NASCAR wanted these things to make 1,200 horsepower, they could. If you said to Doug Yates, hey, I want this thing to make 1,200 horsepower, it's going to 600 miles, over a period of time, he could evolve an engine to do that. These engines are restricted anyway, based on rules. They make less power today than they did two years ago, right? right. So all that, you know, you know, choking a motor down and all that, I, I don't care about that. You know, the truck engine... In an Xfinity engine, they don't make the power of a of a of a Cup car. It's fine, like it's okay. But when they start to drive, you know, where they're too easy to drive, that's when we start to get into a problem. Right. And uh, they have to drive a certain way so that you know the driver does matter. The driver needs to matter. Right. I mean, what DJ said on the show essentially, all he cares about slow the cars down. Just make sure they're still hard to drive. I mean, who cares how fast they're going as long as there's still a degree of difficulty involved? Yeah, I, and I, I think you can go slow enough to where, you know, like I watched qual- you know qualifying at Charlotte for the All-Star Race was like, <laughs> wow, they're really slow. Right. Um, there's a point where too much is too much, but when they qualified for the All-Star Race at Charlotte, I started looking back at records and who qualified what speeds when. And there's this unbelievable jump in miles per hour, like this incredible jump in average lap time. Like, it was crazy. I don't have those numbers in front of me now. But at the height of this sport, at the very height of this sport, these cars were not going as fast as they're going now by any means. They were not. I remember Jeff Bodine running, uh, I think he ran – right at 200 mile an hour at Atlanta. Remember that? Mm-hmm. In qualifying? Everybody's right. like, oh, my God. It happens a lot now. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know, man. I, I don't I don't care about speed. I don't want to see an average lap time of 160 at Charlotte. <laughs> right. But I don't care right. if it's 175. You know what I mean? I don't. Right. It doesn't have to be 200 uh, because there's no evidence to suggest that the faster you go, the more fun it is to watch. Uh, the more compelling it is to to put on a good race. So we know they're not going to use this package in the playoffs. We know Indianapolis is a virtual certainty. You're saying, eh, maybe hold off on Michigan. Do you think we'll see it one other yes. time between now and I think Indy? you'll see it a minimum one more time. I, I, okay. think that, I think that the sport needs to see it. Unfortunately, the negative to that is that the owners 
typically bear the cost burden right. of these development uh, costs. I personally think that Indy is a no-brainer for a lot of reasons, the racetrack, but then also that's the last race of the regular season. So think about this just for a minute. When you go to Indy, you're going to have a pretty good percentage of people that are in the playoffs, right? So if those teams don't want to spend an exorbitant amount of money to get ready for that race, they don't have to. Now, I'm not saying they won't. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem, right? I'm not saying I mean, they won't. That's the thing. <laughs> but there's, but there's going to be 12, 13 teams. They know they're in the playoffs. I think from a cost-efficiency standpoint and the track that needs it the most, I think Indy is a no-brainer. The, the second race where we see it, I, I, don't, I, I don't have an opinion. You can't do it at Charlotte because it's a road course race now. Uh, I, I think you could you could pick another racetrack, and anywhere you picked would be okay as long as it was you know a mile and a half type racetrack. Okay, good enough. During NASCAR America, we also talked about Matt Kenseth's 10 races that he'll be doing uh, over the rest of the 2018 season. You said something that struck me. You're not 100% sure he'd be driving next year, that maybe he moves off into the team manager role in 2019 at Roush Fenway or, or competition director or just does something else. You're an insightful person, Jeff. So does that come from he's not had the greatest return so far? Obviously, the you know, five or six races haven't gone the way he intended. Do you think he's leaning that way or? Well, the negative to being on TV is when you think out loud, you're on record. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. And, that, and now, you, now you see the, yeah, the, the repercussions, as I noticed well, that. Well, maybe, so maybe listen, knows some. but we've all assumed, right? I think most people have assumed that Matt Kenseth will be in that car next year. Yeah, but, absolutely. That's but if you go back and listen to what they all said, they all no one said he was going to be in that car next year. They said, we'll have to wait and see. Like, there was a lot of that conversation. What I did hear a lot of was Matt Kenseth saying he was excited about how he could help the company in more ways than just driving. So it, let's, hypothetically, let's say a really good driver became available. Would Matt Kenseth and that driver willing to say, okay, I'm going to take this Roush thing on because Matt Kenseth is, is involved. Would Matt Kenseth be willing to say, okay, okay, this is a deal we could go sign. I mean, he's 46 years old. We could go sign a three-year deal with a young driver that we know is really good, would Matt Kenseth be willing to step back and say, okay, that's good. That's good for the company. And now I can step back and I can play the manager role in some form or fashion to help get this moving in the right direction. And what got me thinking about that was the comments that they all made. Right. I right. mean, what they all said. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking out loud when I say it, but I don't think we should assume that Matt Kenseth is going to run the entire series for 2019. I just don't think we should assume that. You think he's still deciding based on how things go over these next 10 races? I got or? the sense that I got the sense that none of them had this long-term yeah. like I think they were all thinking something different. And I think that this was an opportunity for Matt Kenseth to get back in racing, to help Roush racing, try to get back on their feet. Matt has a lot of respect for the fact that if it wasn't for Roush Fenway, he he may not have been here. They gave him a shot. I think Matt has a lot of respect for that. Uh, Matt, you, you don't walk away from competitiveness. You you just can't flip that switch and go from being a very highly competitive person to not. Mm -hmm. And and as you know, I know Matt was he's happy as home with his with his girls and all that. But still, man, like it's really hard to just cold turkey. I'm done. To fill that competitive void is yeah. really difficult, right? Yeah. yeah. So so. But maybe a maybe the team role. 
would help him do that after he gets the potentially. The I mean, I, 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 listen, I, I would not be surprised tomorrow if Matt Kenseth came out and said I'm running the whole 19 season. Like that wouldn't surprise me. It also wouldn't surprise me if he said he wasn't. What would surprise me if Matt Kenseth just said I'm not going to be involved in Roush Fenway anymore. If that comes out, then you know there's major issues. Yeah. That Roush Fenway he believes is um in trouble, which we I don't think any of us hope is the end outcome. No, or, definitely not. Or he may decide that may he may decide that you know what. This was uh, a bigger challenge than I'm up for. My girls need me at home. Uh, this is going to require me to be, you know, the workload is going to be really, really high, and there's things that are higher priority in my life than that. You know, it could be that. But Matt's, you know, you, you know Matt, he's a no BS kind of guy, and he knew getting into this that it was going to be difficult. And when he makes a commitment like that, like you said, he sticks to it. And he, he knew what not, he was getting into. He is, a, he is a committed, you know, he is – a man of his word. He is exactly. all those things. And, yeah. and uh, now it could be a bigger issue than he decides he ultimately wants to deal with. Only time will tell. But I wouldn't be surprised if it happened either way, where he came back and said he's running a limited schedule, came back and said he was running full time, or that he wasn't going to drive at all. And he was. Go- I wouldn't be surprised by any of that. Well, that certainly bears watching. We appreciate you listening. And also keep watching NASCAR America, 5 p.m. every night on NBCSN. Wednesdays with Dale Jr. will return next Wednesday, June 20th. In today Wednesday? Today is Wednesday. But, but it's, we didn't. So it's not. Today, okay. I'm sorry. I mean to interrupt. <laughs> today, today was not a Wednesday <laughs> with Dale Jr. It was Wednesday with our other Dale. But next Wednesday, June 20th. He's back. He's back. Wednesdays with Dale Jr. You should tune in. NASCAR America next week, NBCSN. Uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating or review. That really helps us out. We Jeff. need a good rating, please. Yes. None of that low stuff. Just five stars for Jeff Burton. Five stars. Always a big hit when he's on. Thanks for being here. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for listening to NASCAR America Debrief. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.